yourself been so lonesome chasing that morning chill oh little red bird open your mouth and say been so lonesome i just about flown away so long now i've been out in the rain and snow but winter's come and gone a little bird told me so hello and welcome to the how i healed podcast I am joined today by my co-host, Mary Lou Singleton, who is a family nurse practitioner, herbalist, and apprentice-trained home birth midwife. She has been caring for the health of New Mexican families for over 25 years. Mary Lou believes all healthcare modalities, from allopathic medicine to energy work and everything in between, have healing potential. That healing is always an individual journey to be supported by community, and that when it comes to healing, effectiveness is the measure of the truth. She is a critic of the pharmaceutical industry and the mainstream medical industry, which promotes drug dependence and chronic disease maintenance rather than healing. She believes healing is always possible and co-created the How I Healed podcast to share stories of healing, hope, and recovery. Thanks, Jocelyn. I'm Mary Lou, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Jocelyn McDonald, who is an artist and storyteller. She is enlivened by the infinite potential of humans to heal and helps others walk this path through her art and music. Her healing practice focuses on making and finding meaning out of the crises and major choice points of our lives. She offers one-on-one support through coaching and archetypical astrology and tarot. She specializes in assisting with psychedelic integration and pharmaceutical cessation. Welcome to the How I Heal podcast. We are so excited to have Romy Keegan here with us today. Romy comes from a family of dancers. Her grandmother and great aunt were well-known performers in Germany and the U.S. until the early 1960s, and her mother was a ballerina who owned a dance studio. Romy has been dancing all her life. She began ballet at age three and went on to dance with the New Mexico Ballet Company. She continued her ballet studies at the University of New Mexico and became a ballet teacher herself. In 1990, she began studying African dance with a variety of teachers from both the U.S. and Africa. She began teaching African dance in 1998. She is the founder and owner of Maple Street Dance Studio, a space where New Mexicans build community and find healing through dance. In 2019, Romy experienced a healing crisis, which tested the faith of herself and her community. In this episode of How I Healed, Romy recounts her healing journey and tells us of the gifts she received along the way. Hi, Romy. Hello. Hello. Thank Thank you you for for having me. Oh, thank you for being (laughs) a guest on the How I Healed podcast. Uh, We're so excited to hear about your healing journey. But first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh my goodness. I think you already said it all. <laughs> I I am a dancer and um and a magic maker. I have a beautiful, very precious and blessed life that I am incredibly grateful for. I am lucky to be able to do what I love for a living and I am also very grateful for the amazing people that are in my life. So I teach dance classes that takes up a lot of my time. Um, I'm teaching dance classes and I'm also running the studio. And yeah, I I think that's all of who I am. (laughs) Beautiful. 
So in 2019, you experienced what many would call a health crisis. Can you tell us what happened and how you healed? I, I do spend a fair amount of time in facilitating and holding space for people. And so over time, you know, that that position is really beautiful and, and also really challenging. And in about 2018, um, after doing what I do for a very, very long time, I kind of came up against a wall in my own sense of personal power. I guess I'd had a few challenges along the way within my dance community, um, within the African dance community, within the ballet community. And for whatever reason, in about 2017, 2018, probably for multiple reasons that I'm aware of and unaware of, I felt the call to ask spirit to help me clear and cleanse my solar plexus. I was feeling lots of just personal challenge, uh, stuck energy, feeling less effective in what I was doing feeling kind of self-doubt was starting to creep in. Now I recognize that maybe it was the the roots or the beginnings, the roots and shoots of a great big personal change, just moving into my midlife and my own second act. But at that point, it came very much as a call to the universe for support in feeling stronger in my power, uh, mm-hmm. to feel more effective, to feel more grounded more connected to feel, I guess, deeper into my lived experience. So for those of our listeners who are unfamiliar with chakras or don't know what a solar plexus is from that perspective, can you give us a beginner's guide to why you identified all those traits that you just listed out about wanting to feel your power? Why do you associate those with the solar plexus? And how did you know that that was what was being called to heal? So the chakra system is the seven points in our energetic body uh, that start with the root chakra and moves up through the sacral chakra, the solar plexus, to the heart chakra, the throat chakra, the third eye, and the crown chakra. And each of these energy centers are doorways, or I'll say rulers or keepers of specific energies. And without turning this into a lesson on the chakra system, <laughs> I'll just say- Not against that. We're not against a little, <laughs> okay. little dabbling in that. <laughs> Okay. So, so the root chakra is all about feeling connected to the earth, feeling connected to your embodiment, feeling safe, feeling secure, like you have everything you need, uh, your needs are all met. Safety and security would be maybe a quick way to describe the root chakra. The sacral chakra relates very much to relationships and our sense of, of relating with each other and, and creativity and sensuality and experiencing the world through beauty and relationship um, and communion with other people, self and others. And then the solar plexus is the sort of the personal power center, like where we start to feel our sense of confidence in dealing with the world, our sense of, of who the heck am I to be holding this space? Who the heck am I to have these thoughts or opinions or values or teachings even as a teacher it's the place the solar plexus holds that sense of yeah personal power and and for me in this in that moment and in this moment it was a it was a matter of ask, of answering the question who am i to mm-hmm. da, 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 da. The, the solar plexus holds those energies 
Does it have um, any analogy to a specific organ? Like if we were to think about similar medicinal components, like traditional Chinese medicine or, or astrology or something like, would there be an organ system associated with solar plexus? Yes, the liver. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe a couple of others too, actually. It probably has something to do with the pancreas Mm -hmm. uh, and digestive systems as well. For me in my healing journey, it really did become all about the liver. And the liver traditionally holds anger Mm -hmm. of all things, which is something that I'm still sort of unwinding. But yeah, that is that is part of the story and part of the connection in that healing. And then as you go up the chakras, it, it addresses the heart is the heart and the throat is your voice, your ability to speak, uh, speak your truth, which is very much connected to having a healthy solar plexus relationship and energy. And then third eye is your uh, spiritual vision and the crown chakra is your direct connection to spirit, to the divine, loosely quickly spoken. (laughs) Yeah. So you, you called out to spirit for awakening in your solar plexus and clearing in your solar plexus. I was needing some support. I was feeling vulnerable. I was feeling again, I guess. Yeah. I was questioning, um, you know, who am I to be teaching? Who am I to be sharing these things? Who am I to dot, dot, dot. And I, I, about a year later, I came down with a, a just a strange, it, w- it, it really was the answer to the prayer. My liver, for no apparent reason, although I came to understand why, but but suddenly my liver just um, crapped out on me. <laughs> it just, it just, I, I, ca- I kept getting sort of nauseous. I kept having these bouts of nausea. And I guess I'll back up a little bit for this part of the story. I guess I feel really silly about it, but it was absolutely part of the process. I had been dealing with black mold in my system and it was showing up on my fingernails. We had a black mold problem in our bathroom and somewhere along the way, I had a black mold problem. I was seeing it growing on my fingernails and I was with a friend and and she suggested, oh, you know, you might try neem oil or neem, uh, not neem oil, but neem supplements. So, and, and her insight, her idea, her guidance, for whatever reason I decided to follow was to um, not only take this neem oil, but to take high doses of it. And so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's so scared of where this is going. Neem is neem is oh. a, a, an amazing substance and it's, it's so useful, but it can be highly caustic. It can cause miscarriage. Yeah. It can cause like uterine contractions. So I don't know what it's going to do to your liver. And I'm, <laughs> I'm scared. Yeah. I know. And it's very strange. I have to say like in the world of strange and miraculous things and the mysterious ways of the universe, for some reason, First of all, for some reason, I got that guidance. Second of all, I followed it without any question, which is not usual for me, but I just, for whatever reason, I was like, oh, okay, that sounds great. I'll do that. That sounds like a smart thing to do. And so I did. And I started taking these high doses of neem supplements. And on the little package, it said, you know, if you experience nausea or vomiting it is a sign that or maybe it wasn't on the packaging maybe this was part of her guidance i can't remember if you started to experience nausea um it's a sign that the mold is dying off so for i probably did this for about three months 
And about four weeks in, I started getting nauseous and I was like, hey, cool, it's working. <laughs> oh my God. So this is the embarrassing part of this story. I have to say it really is. But all things for all reasons, because in the end, well, I'll jump way to the fourth to the end, all things for a reason that healing crisis catapulted me forward in many ways, but there's lots of blanks to fill in in between. Um, I started to feel the nausea, thought it was a great thing, continued doing what I was doing and just kept getting sicker and sicker with really, without really realizing I was getting sicker and sicker because it was sort of like being in the pot and the pot starts to boil and you don't realize the pot's boiling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was very strange. And so, so one morning I woke up feeling sicker than all the sickers and I reached out to that same friend and told her, and I, I don't even know why I would know this, but I was like, my liver, my liver doesn't feel like it's working right. And I, I had this strange sensation of a balloon inside my body filled with toxins and, but it didn't necessarily locate where my liver sits. It was more of a, I don't even know how to describe it. It was, a, it was an odd both intuitive and physically felt sensation. So I called this friend and I, I said, gosh, I think my, I think, I think my, my liver's not working. And she came over right away and she brought with her more herbs <laughs> called kutki. And they are liver toxic cleansing herbs for your liver. I took that and within, within an hour, I felt different, better, much better. This went, I took that, I took those herbs for about two or three days. And if I didn't take them, I would cascade back down to feeling terrible. It felt almost like a flu, but so long as I took the herbs, I felt better. And I had, this is the part that is also sort of strange. I just had this inner knowing that what was happening was all completely exactly what was supposed to happen from the beginning to the end. Um, at first, I didn't understand why my liver seemed to be crapping out. And, and in that first maybe 24 to 48 hours, feeling the herbs working and having this incredible tidal wave of knowing that everything was right and fine. I don't know how I could even begin to think that, but I, I did. I absolutely did. And in that first 24 to 48 hours, I asked within, like, why did this happen? How, what is this? What is happening? And I tell you, the bottle of herbs came screaming into my mind. So talk about an open chakra of the third eye. I was able to see and understand and know within my entire being, uh, all the parts connected, that it was that. And I, I was sort of stunned when I saw the visual in my third eye, in my, in my inner eye. And then my body responded with goosebumps, like, oh my gosh. So I got up and I looked at the thing and I just, I just knew that that was it. And then I looked up online what about neem oil? <laughs> well, <laughs> don't take it in large doses. <laughs> so I, I knew quickly that that's what it was. And then I started to sort of, then I, I just continued looking into liver support and what I needed to be doing for myself. 
And I just tend to be somebody, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a rebel in a lot of ways. I just don't follow any of the normal courses of action that other people follow for better or worse. I continually find myself as, um, I'm going to say, kind of a pirate. I just seem to live by my own set of rules. I don't know why I don't understand it. And I'm very grateful for it. And it, it, I just, again, I just kept having this inner sense of knowing that all of this was somehow related. And so I researched, it was not very difficult to research. There was, a, I found, you know, the, the number one best thing to be eating for my liver was going to be broccoli. Uh, I needed to up my water, like tremendously. And I just kept taking those herbs. And so I nursed myself back to health. That was about a week long. Somewhere in there, it became clear that it wasn't just that my liver was stressed out. It actually did stop functioning. And I knew this because then I turned yellow. Um, so as far as I understood that it had, it had, it had stopped working. But when I start, when the jaundice kicked in, um, I was already feeling so much better. And really the whole event was about six weeks. It was, it was six weeks of drinking tons of water and eating really, really purely, which was something that probably needed to happen in a lot of ways anyway. Not that I was a junk, junk food addict, but I definitely was not being as careful as I had been, you know, French fries, sure. Ice cream. Yeah. Okay. Um, I just kind of had gotten I don't know. I'd gotten lazy about certain things. And I feel like it was, it was a really big blessing to be reminded how important it is to eat well and mindfully and be present in your body. So I just continued to drink lots of water and eat really well. And, and it's hard to describe how this experience, it's so deeply personal. And from the outside, it sounds absolutely crazy. Um, and internally, I recognized it as an answer to this solar plexus issue. I found so much personal power in how my inner guidance and inner wisdom kicked in. There was no question in my mind how the two were related. And there, the changes that I've made in my life since then, the limbs I've taken myself out on since then, um, in healthy ways, <laughs> in, 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 in leadership, in creativity, in self-care, in manifesting the life I want to live, all of that was directly related to this healing crisis where something totally out of left field came roaring into my life. And I had zero interest. I don't know why I had zero interest in going to a doctor. I, I, it wasn't that I was, I just, I knew I didn't need to from the moment it started. And that's hard to convey to anybody. It's so personal. 
And it was such a direct answer to my prayer, to my request of the universe, to my request to myself, to my desire for a deeper connection with spirit, with the divine, with the healer within me, with that part of me that is connected to the whole universe. It, it, that could not have come without this healing crisis, this healing event in my life. It was not a crisis. It was a healing event in my life. And um, as it unfolded, as I drank so much water, water, <laughs> water is healing. Water is really and truly life. Water really and truly, I feel like it's it. Water saved my life. <laughs> um, but anyway, I drank all that water. I got my hydration back up and I communed with my own precious spirit and was led um, through that scary time. Um, meanwhile, it was really less scary for me and more scary for the people around me. I oh. had this incredible sense of well-being and being taken care of by the higher realms, I felt very, I knew that I was cared for and that I needed to walk through this fire. The people around me had a harder time seeing that. And I completely understand that. Fortunately, my husband um, also walks a very similar path with me. Um, he, I know he was scared, but he believed me when I said I knew that everything was okay. He believed me when I said the herbs are working. He believed me when I said I could feel internally, viscerally, on every level, the potency and the power of this event. He he completely supported me. Um, and he too is kind of lives like a rebel and doesn't follow rules and just kind of get through it all in this helter-skelter <laughs> kind of way. <laughs> but my family um, and some of my friends, many of my friends, um, were really, really worried about me. And um, and I was sorry to worry them, but I was also very frustrated that they had so little faith in my own knowing and my own ability to, to make um, choices for myself based on my inner knowing I, i'm going to say even beyond inner guidance it was inner knowing um, that part was hard that that part was challenging but we got through that too so when i think of the energetics of the liver and the spleen especially from um, traditional chinese medicine so the liver is the seat of anger and no emotion is every emotion is sacred right like there's there's no emotion that's a bad emotion and then the spleen is the seat of worry. And I find that interesting. And I think of what you went through. And um, when I think of healthy anger, that what is that emotion given to us for? How do we use that? It's so good at setting boundaries. It's very, <laughs> anger is good for us with that. And then worry, you know, will help us get in more right relationship. The worry is contagious in itself. And that one can get more stagnant and get, uh, you know, that's a harder one to uh 
find, we need to get our, our friend Kate, who's a DOM on sometime to explain the, the healthy energetics of the spleen, because <laughs> maybe as a warrior, I don't, I'm not quite there to explain it yet. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but were those, were those currents part of what you experienced of having to set boundaries and what emotions did you have come up whenever your community was doubting you in, in what you knew about your healing process? Oh, that is such a good question. I am, had been, I was, I might still be a little bit, a total people pleaser. And I always made sure that everybody else's needs and opinions, desires, wants were met. And, and if, if everybody around me is happy, then I'm happy. And for whatever reason, throughout this on the anger I'll do anger first and then I'll do worry with anger it felt so good to be mad at my friends and my family I that is not something I allow I am a naturally happy sunny person and I don't have to work hard to hold that space like I it is very easy for me to to make sure that my friends and family feel comfortable and happy that it, 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 I don't consciously feel any stress around that. So it was unusual for me to feel anger in that way. And it was freeing. It was very, very powerful. And it was also a part, it was, it was like finding a hidden treasure in a way to be able to find anger and then to be able to use it for my own self-defense. And in that self-defense, find a sword that I could then use for my own protection from that point forward. And I'm still not a very angry person, um, but I now have a sword and, and I'm not afraid to use it. And, and I think that the energy of my dance classes changed, you know, I, I, I have dance classes that are full of personalities and conflicting uh, agendas and the very often you know, folks will bring in all their stuff because they know it's a safe place. They know it's a safe place to bring their stuff in because I've always held a giant space for everybody. But now I have this sword and certainly those first, that first year after finding the sword, it felt so good to be like, you know, still absolutely loving, still totally holding space, still allowing people to be who they are, but not bringing it all into me not allowing it all into me and having the ability to say, um, excuse me, wait, no, that's not going to be okay. Or that particular, can you two quit giggling over there? Or can, you know, just the, the little things that, oh, that sounds so petty, but <laughs> the, the little things that happen, <laughs> the little things that are really big things when you're trying to hold a space for everybody, I was able to take the sword out and go, no, that's not okay. That needs to stop no, wait, no, that's not okay. That needs to stop. Actually stand back. You're too close, you know, mm -hmm. in ways that were healthy, never rude, never mean, but clear. I had never had such clarity before. And I feel like I carry it with me now for the most part. Um, so that would be the anger end of things. It gave me, it gave me confidence and a sword and clarity and the ability to, to discern the fact that I have boundaries. I, I didn't really fully know that before. The worry. Being a artist and dance teacher and studio owner, the experience of trusting my body and spirit to heal got me over the hump of 
worrying about whether or not I have enough money or will have enough money or worry, worrying about those, those root chakra uh, sorts of things. Those, the, the worry conscious and unconscious of, of, will we have enough? Will we have enough? And, and, and finding my way out of lack mentality to a place of really believing wholeheartedly in plenty. There's plenty. There's plenty for me, for everybody. Um, even when it doesn't always look like that, it's a spiritual sort of thing. And the act of going through the valley of the shadow of death <laughs> gave me gave me a sense that like I can heal and I have enough. Like those two things together, mm, just um life-changing, um, spiritual transformation couldn't have happened without going through this totally bizarre, having somebody pull this curtain in front of my eyes so that I say, yes, I'll take neem oil, going through the, the, the illness of it, knowing a hundred percent that it was all exactly the way it needed to be. And that that friend of mine was an agent of the divine. Like there is zero issue between she and I and thank God she also can like through our processing through this event together because of course she felt horrible she felt so bad but I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it the level of again we, I wouldn't have had this opportunity to go so deep with somebody on a life and death matter and and to be able to say to her I you were an agent of the divine and there are no victims here. There are no victims here. Absolutely everything that unfolded in that healing event proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are, there are no accidents. I choose my reality. I embrace that power. I embrace the ability to stand in my choices and to, um, believe that there is a higher power both my own and something bigger than me at work I'll, I'm gonna say always in my reality it's always in in my own personal experienced reality and in the way that I get through watching trauma and drama unfold around me I find deep consolation in the idea that there is um, a cosmic whole that knows better than me that I am plugged into and that I'm a part of. And so whew, surrender to that, <laughs> pull out my sword and, um, yeah. Phew. Goodness gracious. <laughs> wow. I'm just so curious about how your relationship in this solar plexus healing event has opened up the experience of other women that you work with to be in their anger or to, you know, you kind of mentioned that a little bit about, about what shows up in the room, but I'm just so curious because once you became that unafraid of your own anger, I wonder how the women around you started to reflect that back to you. Interesting. Yeah. There was certainly there were no great big fights. 
there's there's definitely a lot of space held for people to show up however they show up and then the magic and the healing of dance seems to take care of that extra edge when it's there mm. right like people will come in kind of feisty and kind of grumpy and I have always allowed them that I've just not allowed me that um but yet you're right most of the time people will come into class as as people pleasers too we all kind of come in and go oh here we are we're agreed to share this space but there are those that aren't afraid that, that haven't been afraid to to show their emotions and to come in wherever they are and um and it, I really love it that you asked that question because finding my own power in having a day where I just don't feel like you know being stepped on for whatever reason and I finally say something it definitely empowers me to hold that space for the women around me. Um, now, there are a few times it hasn't happened very often, and it's never happened as a big you know, battle in class, but there have been a few times when their attitudes or angers have been inappropriate and mm -hmm. have, you know, degrade the space of safety that we all come to together. Um, and in those cases, I've had to be strong in my newfound power and, and manage those. Yeah, it's amazing. And I don't, I, I know I didn't used to be able to do that. I used to sidestep it. I used to um, honey coat it. I used to um, try to, ooh, ooh, I used to feel responsible for it. <laughs> I used to feel responsible for it. Um, but now I absolutely recognize that, you know, we, we each bring our own thing. And while I manage and hold the space, all that muck is not my own. Um, so thank you for asking that question, because that's been a that's been a, a piece that is really important. Well, I have a question. Um, so you come from a long line of ballet dancers and you started your training in ballet as a toddler. Um, and on this podcast, we hear a lot from people raised in families with um, strict ideologies, a lot of people coming from fundamentalist religious backgrounds. As a non-ballet dancer, from the outside, to me, ballet looks like a strict ideology. And I'm wondering how you have integrated and um, that background and softened around the strictness and how that influences you to this day. Mm -hmm. so yes speaking of light sides and shadow sides ballet uh is so beautiful and it requires an incredibly strict foundation it, it requires a dedication and a fierceness to the art form that is really only achieved through this like rigid repetitive idealistic uh, construct. And through that, really beautiful things can happen. Really beautiful art can happen. Really beautiful movement can happen. Um, people who thrive in those environments can absolutely shine and bring so much joy to audiences. Um, but clearly the dark side to that is all of the self-worth issues that come up, all of the uh, beauty myth things that come up, um, all of the toxic female competitiveness that can come up. Um, one thing I realized early on is that I am a sister. I do not thrive in competition. I do not enjoy it in the least. It does not drive me, um, at least not consciously. 
uh, I didn't enjoy that part of ballet at all. I did enjoy very much the the self-expression, expression, the strengthening, the challenge of it. Um, I, as I've grown into ballet, um, as a as a person, I love the technique and mechanics more and more every day, <laughs> especially as they help my my adult body to continue dancing. And that's where I really enjoy sharing ballet with adults. But back in the day, the competition the um that strict ideology that goes with it um drove me away uh, there definitely came a point where i was just getting my box was getting smaller and smaller and tighter and tighter and there was less joy and less joy and less joy and if there was joy it didn't belong to me it somehow belonged to the teacher you know, or, or the other students or my mom or which bless her. Oh my God. I'm so glad she gave me ballet. I, my mother and my aunt and my grandmother gifted me the most precious thing in my life, but I did have to go through the light and the dark sides of ballet in particular to find that joy. Um, and yeah, so, so then in my, I, in my pursuit um, of ballet, I I was, I, I thought I might be heading toward a professional track until late high school, early college, and then it became clear that I just couldn't hang. I couldn't work as hard as those other dancers, and I also didn't enjoy the vibe of the competition to stay in class hours and hours, day in day out. But I loved the dance itself. And um, so I kept on doing it into college. And then somewhere in college, uh, I discovered African dance and it, it, it changed my relationship with dance. And it, it, I left ballet for about 10 years. And in that 10 years, I reclaimed my own femininity for myself. Ballet had the, the, the extreme beauty aesthetic that went with ballet that I couldn't seem to achieve even with somebody that was privileged in the body type and color, uh, all of those layers, um, it, it just ate me alive. I just didn't like anything about what ballet was asking from me. And so, um, and it was just shredding me little by little. It was just, it, it was, it was taking away the joy of movement and um, African dance helped me refine it. Um, African dance gave me an entirely new way to move my body and to relate to my body as a woman, as a human, as a person with a belly, um, as a person with a heart and expression and a need to express. But then after about 10 years of just doing the African dance, I needed to come back around and, and pull my love of ballet back in. And coming back to ballet as an adult really, God, it's amazing how one thing always leads to the next because the years of ballet training, the years of taking a break from ballet, the years of discovering the the purity and the groundedness and the community and the, 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 the love and joy around African dance, you put all of those things together and adult dance becomes completely accessible in a whole new way. And I feel like I, I recognize that my life path has been to become a person who holds space 
for adult dancers in particular. I taught kids for years, but really it's been about holding space for adults to, to discover that they love to dance and to thrive in the healing potency that dance just is just dance period um, ballet by itself if you've got the right teacher African dance for sure no brainer um, put them together and there's something really really special in the strengthening the core technique the the ability to refine movement and find grace mixed with this like raw energy and exuberance and joy and instant access to to the the thrill of moving the body um, particularly in rhythm to drums recorded music can also be nice but the drums are like just amazing so yeah um, man dance. i'm feeling so, so much uh, just desire to be in albuquerque because i started dancing when i was four years old in ballet tap jazz lyrical liturgical all of it i spent you know uh, yeah every single day after school and all weekend long dancing and um a lot of what you said was really true for me you know when I, I loved dancing so much loved being on stage loved the way that my body felt but hated the competition and the constant comparison to other girls and the self-evaluation that came with that and uh, got getting to a point at a certain age where I could only be proud of myself in the sense of like the projection of doing right by my teacher, you know, like, like proving to my teacher that I was good enough and proving to my parents that I was dedicated enough. And, and instead of being like self-expressive, you know, coming from within. So I'm just, oh, I'm loving everything you're saying about dance and I'm just like really wondering if, um, yeah, something like African dance could completely unlock what I had to store away out of self-protection after a lifetime of self-devaluation coming from like not ever being good enough to go for Broadway, you know. Right. But I'm so curious, too, because one of the things that you were saying earlier about what you were pulling from out of your solar plexus is this desire for clarity as to what you want and what your where your personal power comes from and you said that this healing journey has brought you this power where that you know with confidence that your path has brought you to this place of being able to bring dance modalities into adults to offer this healing and I'm really curious because of the timing of when this all was initiated you know you said you began having this health crisis, health event in 2017, that's like around the same time that I really noticed the conversations really ramping up online and in um, intellectual spaces. I say that in quotation marks about cultural appropriation versus cultural appreciation and who has the right to, to dance or to listen to music or to even speak a foreign language. So I'm really curious if there was any connection for you in this, in, in like asking your body to help you find your strength with the, with the larger cultural conversation around, like if you're even entitled to, to witness, much less teach dance from another culture from yours. Exactly. <laughs> All of that. <laughs> exactly. That was 
such a huge part that was such such a challenge um and I, there's no there's no easy answers definitely my healing event uh continues to give me um strength to draw from i feel like i on, on one hand, I have put my stake in the sand and I've said, or my stake in the ground, <laughs> maybe it's sandy ground. Um, <laughs> part of me has absolutely put that in the ground and gone, yes, I, I know my history. I know the training. I know the time I've spent doing ballet and African dance. Um, I know what I've put into it and I know what it has given back to me. I recognize how it all fits into what made me me from my mother to my grandmothers. Um, so on the one hand, I feel like, yes, damn it, <laughs> yes. But on the other hand, I also recognize that it it really, it's so multifaceted and so complex, so deep. I'm going to use the word rich, but I don't mean it. I mean it rich in complexity, multi-layered and dense. Um, so I don't feel like even, even with the clarity that I do have, I always leave a little space of like, you know what? I don't know. You know? Well, you know, you had mentioned that your, your ballet was given to you by your mother and your auntie and your grandmother. And which was also true for me as well. Um, I'm curious, what is your lineage like in African dance? You know, which specific modalities or what teachers or did you go to Africa and study? Like, could you speak to that more? I can. And that's that's a part that really complicates it because I have not been to Africa, but we have had amazing teachers here. Um, it started with... Um, it started with somebody who was teaching Congolese mm -hmm. and um, invited amazing Congolese dancers to come and do master classes. And um, that would be probably for the first two to three, four years of dancing was just, it's always just been community dance. It's always been literally just joyful, happy people getting together in a space, drummers present because they come from the ethers. Um, both African and American. Um, so they don't come from the ethers. They do come all the way across the ocean. But this like amazing call, <laughs> this thing happens where drummers and dancers, you have one, you have the other, you have one, you have the other. But um, yeah, those first several years were mostly um, master teachers coming in and, and sharing. And then the local teacher holding the space. Um, and then that opened into a, a broader community of African dance. This was the 90s when it was really just starting to show up in America in the way that it that it did. Um, it, um, it came over earlier, um, but this was when sort of this big uh, burst of African dance came. And uh, so we had guest teachers come and then the main teacher who held the space and then that main teacher um, there were a couple of revolutions of, of main um, American, white American teachers, um, each of whom had studied in Africa. And then we had um, a woman who came from Zimbabwe 
who was teaching both Zimbabwe dance and West African dance. And all of the, all of the, um, after the Congolese, it became West African uh, focused with a little bit of South African, Zimbabwean specific dance. Um, and that teacher held the space for another 10 years, I guess. And, and in that time, the community, both in Albuquerque and how it related to the larger national community, uh, continued to deepen and expand. So Albuquerque became a really cool little hub for teachers to come regularly. And then it was held down by this particular teacher. Yeah, her name is Rejeko Dumbachena, amazing woman, amazing teacher. Uh, she created the opportunity for me to step out on the path that I'm on, both as a as a teacher, uh, African teacher, uh, studio owner, and then the the blending together of the two that happened about ten years ago, that that sort of I feel like defined me as who I am as that teacher and dancer in the world. Um, so it comes from those two different traditions and, and, and she, yeah, she was instrumental in making that happen. So she kind of endorsed your new fusion of ballet and West African dance. Is that? She did. She actually had left Albuquerque by the time that happened. Mm -hmm. um, while she was still in Albuquerque, she was the lead teacher. She was teaching the advanced level classes and I started teaching beginning level classes. Um, when we would have class, we I would see you know new students come into the room and they'd be bright eyed and excited about coming to dance and then leave sometimes in tears, frustrated because they couldn't get the step and the the community was really tight and there was, you know, you get people together for a long time and there's always gonna be, or often, I'm not gonna say always, there's often little clicks that forms and vibes that start to rise up. And so I started to see some of that and being very sensitive mm -hmm. to that competition and that sense of not wanting to um, stay and push through the discomfort. I thought it would be really cool to start a beginning class that she totally endorsed. Mm -hmm. And we worked together offering classes for several years in that capacity. She held the more advanced classes and any beginners that wanted to go to her class but I offered a beginning class on the days that she wasn't having class so that we could create a, a, a net to pull in, in other dancers who would feel comfortable. They would go through however many classes or years in my class and, you know, um, get their foot on the ground and, so they could feel comfortable to go into the other class. Um, and then she, I, I think that was about maybe really two years, maybe three years. And then she ended up moving. Um, she she ended up going to New York and starring in Fela. Uh-huh. Cool. Yeah, so super cool. So when she left, I inherited the studio that she was starting. She was starting a studio that was going to be African diaspora. It was going to be cultural history, song, dance. But when she uh, decided to leave, I took over the studio so that we could continue just offering the African dance classes as African dance classes um, without trying to, you know, turn it into a, an African centric studio. And so at that point, I was just there to keep our classes going 
and there was no way to pay the rent on the space without uh, asking in other teachers. And so before we knew it, I had belly dancers in the space and capoeiristas in the space and Afro-Cuban in the space. And um, and I was still teaching African. And then one of her other students took over her classes. So I continued with the beginning level and we still had an intermediate level. And yeah, and then little by little, I started bringing ballet into it. And then years later, um, I achieved my dream of pushing the two together, of, of blending the, um, the ballet and the African into its own style, um, taking from each of them what I loved the most. And, you know, even as I say that, I, I do still feel sensitive to the cultural appropriation layers of that. And all of my teachers all along encouraged me celebrated me, encouraged and celebrated me. I mean, that really is it. I felt completely supported by my teachers to teach. And um, by the time I decided to blend the two, um, that support continued. That particular teacher had left, but that support continued. And now, um, now it's this sort of unique little contemporary style of movement that I feel gives people an opportunity to um, step into dance in a really dynamic way and it's really accessible for adults and it's playful and friendly and it's got a great beat <laughs> so anyway is there like much immigrant I'm sorry what am I trying to say African diaspora immigrant population in Albuquerque because I know there's I mean it's New Mexico so there's definitely a lot of cultural diversity but is it is there a great deal of African immigrants you know, it's interesting. There, There is a community of African immigrants. I don't know how large it is, but they are not interested. We've done some outreach and some, you know, greater and smaller degrees over the years of 20, 20 years of Maple Street and five years before that, that Rejeco was in town. And, um, and really, it hasn't been, there's not been interest. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, even though... Yeah, we've tried some different programs. Highland High School, one of our high schools, has a specific um, immigration support. Uh, I don't even know what you call it. Uh, but they've got a whole program to help with integration and um, getting kids connected with things that are happening in Albuquerque that they can plug into. And through three, four, five different times of trying, offering classes specifically to that group and doing offering performances, performance opportunities to that group. There's just not a lot of interest. I feel like maybe, I mean, it seems like there would be, but I, but at the same time, probably there's a sense of, we already have this within us. Why would we go to this lady's studio and do this other thing? You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's often been a question and, but there are some great relationships that have been forged over the years through that. They may not have shown up in dance class, but there have been, there have been good relationships that have been forged. So I have another question. So we've talked about how you've integrated these other threads of your life. And one thing I know about you, Romy, is you are one of the most magical people that I have ever met. And I participated in my, my first um, women's spirituality magic circle with you as, as a young woman in my early 20s and have watched you follow that. And it looks like you are now weaving that into your dance. And can you tell us about how you are, are bringing that aspect of yourself into, into 
fullness. Thank you so much for asking. Because <laughs> it definitely, I feel like everything that we talked about already is amazing and potent and powerful. And it's definitely made me who I am. And that healing event catapulted me forward in my own spiritual um what do I want to say? I've always been a spiritual being. I've always practiced my own brand. I've always, you know, been a seeker. I've been, I've always been interested. I've, you know, whatever, but that event just catapulted me forward, upward, inward, expanded in every direction. And it literally shot out roots, um, that reconnected with, um, with sort of, you know, our my Celtic, uh, Anglo-Saxon Celtic background of, um, of, of natural magic, natural spirituality, um, which also crosses paths with my own inclinations toward mystic Christianity um, and Gnosticism. Um, so there's a crazy blend there. Uh, and then I also really, really love the teachings that have come out through the um, what's called the New Thought Movement, which actually really is ancient wisdom that newer mystics started to pick up on and um, began expressing as new thought. Um, so, so yeah, so all of that has sort of um, alchemized in me. And after that healing event, um, on the heels of that, we had uh, COVID. And when COVID happened, I had the opportunity to sit. <laughs> uh, while the world was crazy and falling apart in a million different directions, and so many different people had so many different experiences, I found myself with um, some time on my hands. I couldn't run the studio. I did teach dance classes through Zoom. Um, but I couldn't, nobody else was in the studio. And so all of the other classes that were happening, those teachers either were teaching from their own homes or not teaching at all. And so I had a lot of time on my hands and I spent all of that time in meditation. I spent all of that time in deep dives with spirit because I had been blown open by that um, healing event. So I was just primed and I just, I, and so from that, came this really and truly from that uh from that time getting to sit and and just be present with myself um this really beautiful vision arose of of blending um the most accessible parts of magic and mysticism with dance and so um i've created something that I call Dancing Our Magic, and that's becoming the overall name for my dance program. So Dancing Our Magic is both the weekly dance classes that are um, this, the blending of the ballet and the African is called Ballet de la Terre, uh, dynamic contemporary uh, adult uh, dance. And I utilize that style of movement to create choreography in honor of the seven directions. And then, um, so the, the dance program is called Dancing Our Magic. It incorporates the weekly dance classes of both the um, Ballet de la Terre and Adult Ballet Basics, but it also has a seven-week seasonal workshop uh, that happens with each of the solstices and equinoxes. They're seven weeks each, um, and they teach this choreography around 
the associations of the seven directions and the teachings behind those, the sort of spiritual empowerments, I'd say, behind those things. So yeah, so all of this has led to this amazing um, renaissance in my own life. This healing event uh, pushed me out onto the edges of what I believed I was capable of and what I believed um, I could do. Um, teaching dance and holding space for dancers has always been magical, but kind of coming out of the spiritual closet, um, being stronger in my power, which is exactly what I asked for, um, having a stronger sense of self and a stronger sense of identity and a stronger sense of purpose, a stronger sense of effectiveness, a little bit more of a, of a permission from myself and the universe to go ahead and step out into these sort of scary uncharted, you know, waters from the, from, from appropriation and incorporating the beautiful things that I see in African dance and ballet, um, to to the the mashup of spirituality that you know when you look into spiritual practices it all comes down to the same teachings and that is that everything is one and it's all freaking beautiful so base everything on that and you you just can't go wrong <laughs> so all of that really came out of out of this this asking for healing and this this answer from the universe saying, okay, you want healing? You're going to walk through some fire first. Um, you're going to be initiated. And and then and then you have a responsibility and a duty to make it happen and, and to do it with all your heart. Beautiful. Do you have any questions? I feel like there. I just, I'm over here in awe. I'm like, shit, do I need to move to Albuquerque? Because yeah, you do. <laughs> and I love magic and I love chakras and you're just speaking my language on a major level. I've got, I've got a million more questions, but not necessarily that would be interesting for our audience. I really want to see her chart. Obviously I'm like, where does Jupiter lose the liver? And Sagittarius, you know, really in the liver, like, what do you have in Sagittarius? What do you have in the ninth house? What's what's Jupiter doing? I'm like, what's your human wow. design? Do you have a defined solar plexus? <laughs> Gosh, I want to know the answers to that question too. Those oh, questions. Yeah, well, see, we're just going to have to get together offline because nobody wants to hear us, you know, go off on that tangent. This is just mythic. Like, I want to write the the fairy tale down of the you know, the woman who prays out for power and the, you know, the female figure comes with the potion and, and the woman starts taking it and it turns out it's poison oh and, and, and has to, you know, go through that, that journey of, wow, I really hadn't thought of that. It, it reminds me too, of a couple episodes ago, we had the amazing Tanya McBride and she yeah. was talking about how she never prays for anything specific because <laughs> you never know what God is going to bless you with in making your prayer <laughs> true and this is the perfect example totally. of that like you wanted this to happen you wanted you specifically asked for this initiation and there was no way for you to know that you would have to be poisoned and turn yellow <laughs> to, to to accomplish it yeah. Yeah. And then even the part of like, in speaking of it in terms of mythics, like going against my mom and dad, yes, breaking out of the childhood, like y you can get mad at me all you want, but I'm not going to the doctor. Thankfully, Mary Lou is in my life. 
<laughs> all I did was like hold a line of like, you know, leave her alone. <laughs> like, it's just, I feel, I still feel bad. I got pulled into it against your will. <laughs> Two different people went behind my back and talked to Mary Lou and said, would you intervene? Romy is not taking care of herself. They specifically said Romy's dying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which, Mary Lou, why won't you do something? Fair, it sure looked like it. <laughs> you go make her go to the doctor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm keeping all this in, by the way. This is really juicy shit, too. Oh, I love the mythic conversation. <laughs> and and then in the story that it's it is it's the same female entity that then offers the the cure, the the potion to bring the the antidote to the poison, right? Like it's you know she's cloaked this way at the beginning. She's cloaked a different way afterwards it's I, I think yeah. the fact it was the same friend mm -hmm. oh my god right and it makes me think of the um the village deities the pre-hindu um entities in in the indian subcontinent of these goddesses every single one of them is female and they are the place like they they can't be moved they they are mm -hmm. the land they are the people they are the place there they hold that but each one is an illness. Each one is a disease. And she is the one who both gives the disease and the one who takes the disease away and often will give you the disease if you're not properly acknowledging her presence and her, you know, not giving her the attention that she needs in a healthy way. It's like, well, now you have shingles and then you have to pray to her to take the shingles away. There's, there's wow. one for nearly every ailment of humanity there's a village deity that is the illness and is the cure to the illness wow wow yeah oh my gosh amazing yeah I love it that it was the same friend and I love it that you have nothing but love for her yes mm. that's the best part totally yeah. <laughs> and that you yeah. didn't turn into somebody who now thinks all herbs are dangerous and people shouldn't be allowed to <sighs> have you know autonomy they need they need to be regulated by outside where's authorities. the black box label on neem oil <laughs> only doctors can <laughs> right. dispense it mm -hmm. yeah oh and there were some interesting conversations around that too you know there were definitely people who were like oh my god this is why this is why herbs should not be allowed and in answer to that i would always say like no i it will I didn't do my research. I didn't do my due diligence. The herbs are just the herbs, potent, powerful, doing their thing. I am 100% responsible for how I used them. And the information is out there. And, and you know, taking them all off the shelf or not making them available doesn't solve. It only makes worse our, our ideas of personal power and autonomy and freedom to choose and you know those kinds of things like gosh yeah the idea that this somehow proves that herbs should not be used and not available is just yeah I well, did a few of those conversations and then my husband just you know patiently nurturing nourishing holding space protector you know he did his best to you know, speak for me when he could, not that that needed to happen, but he was just present, not speak for me, but be, be on the same page as me, you know? So 
yeah, kind of standing up to my folks and standing up to friends and just, yeah, all the different layers of it. And gosh, just seeing how, yeah, I, my mind is being blown right now by the, by the mythic end of this that I knew was mythic, uh, but I hadn't really fully re relooking at it after all this time and seeing some of this is, is really amazing. That, that looking back. I have a I have a cool story too. I don't know if you guys have a minute to tell you about the hummingbird mm -hmm. that was part of this story. Yeah. So at a certain point, um, at a certain point, like maybe early on, maybe it was it was it was while I was still a little unsure. Like there was definitely, even though I had this this overarching, like everything is cool, you are following your heart, you are listening to this inner knowing, you're gonna be fine knowing that there were other people holding other spaces, there were certainly moments of doubt in it all, right? There were, there were definitely, there were moments of, yes, I know this is right. God, I hope I'm right. And um, <laughs> there was this one day that I had gone, um, I had gone, a friend offered to do maybe a massage and I'd come back from the massage and I turned the corner to my house, to uh, the, this path that leads to my front door. And um, Hummingbird is my is is one of my people, one of my little guys that is just always present. Definitely teacher, guide, spirit, support. And um, this Hummingbird zoomed in front of my face. Like literally I could feel its wings, like brush, didn't touch me, but the wind of this Hummingbird right in front of me. and. To, to my right side is this window. This hummingbird zoomed in, smacked against the window and fell on its back, spread eagle. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I am not gonna make it. Like this might actually take me, holy shit. And I went inside, I sat down, I was speechless. I, 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 for like a half hour, I just sat there. My husband was there. I. I told him what happened. We went out and saw the little hummingbird spread eagle. It had it had fallen into a into a plant flower pot on its back in a in a bare spot. Just his little beautiful wings, just just on its back, dead as a freaking doornail. And I, I I was so stunned and so terrified by that message. And I just sat there for so long. And eventually, after about a half hour, forty five minutes, I got up, kind of the dazed shock was starting to wear off the like heaviness and like really kind of meeting my maker kind of meeting this moment of like, Whoa, I actually don't know. I went to go look at that little hummingbird again. I swear as I walked up, she perched up onto the edge of the fricking pot edge and flew away. She, one, she wasn't dead and got up and flew away. But two, the chances that I would see that, that I would be there to witness her go and fly away. Astounding. Because if I had gone and she was just gone, I could have, you know, like, oh, what happened? Did the cat get her? Like, what, oh, you know, but I saw the resurrection of this little hummingbird. And I... I'm just remembering now that my, oh, I'm getting goosebumps. That certainly had to have been the root of my clarity, you know, 
that that affirmation from spirit to send me a message that it was like reading a book, like reading a message like Romy. You might die, but you won't. Okay, bye. <laughs> okay. So anyway, it, it's such a potent part of the story and and um, such a potent teacher of spirit again like just the the layers of spirit coming in and 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 showing us our inner knowing the, the ways the divine works is just astounding thanks for tuning in to the how i healed podcast we are so happy to have you if you like this podcast please consider sharing it with a friend like it subscribe to us on substack spotify apple podcasts leave us a review we are so excited to receive your feedback so do drop us a line at how i healed podcast at gmail.com if you would like to send us a message you can also reach us on instagram or facebook or twitter you know all the usual spots so thanks again for tuning in and for supporting our project